Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. I am your host, Heather McFadden, and this is a place where I'm going to walk alongside you and connect you with people and resources who remind you you're not alone. In this episode number 236, I am chatting with my new friend, Erin Moon. Lent is about fasting, and it's also about feasting. When we take things away from ourselves and and whatever you fast from during Lent, it's the thing that you are thinking of right now that you don't actually want to fast from, (laughs) Um, and which is the worst part. And you deny yourself. And that is so good for us. For the most part, there's not a lot that we want that we don't get. Father Thomas McKenzie says in his book, The Anglican Way, the purpose of these disciplines is not to punish ourselves for our sins. Jesus took all the punishment for us. Rather, the disciplines are meant to empty us so that the Lord may fill us. We are making ourselves available to Christ in hopes of growing our faith. And I think when we get into a mindset closely related to Jesus as he fasted and prayed, we are getting closer to him. We are removing distractions. We're waiting, but we're not wasting our time. Aaron Moon is the author of Oh Heavy Lightness, A Guide to Lent and Holy Week. And I invited her on the show this week because I was curious to learn more about Lent and to connect you with a resource that could help you if you're considering observing it this year. Maybe you and your family have observed Advent in the past leading up to Christmas, and you're wanting to do the same kind of meaningful journey towards Easter. Well, Erin's going to talk through all the things, including her background growing up in the Southern Baptist Church, and then how her family's been led to worship at an Anglican church. And through that process, learned more of an appreciation for Lent. I get that not all of you come from a liturgical background, and some of this may make you feel uncomfortable, and that's okay. I don't attend an Anglican church. She taught me so much that I appreciate, and I'm excited to jump on board for Lent this year. I've already considered what I'm going to fast and feast Stick around for the end of the show. I'm going to talk to you about observing Lent as a family. She and I don't quite get into that because I forgot to ask, but I've asked her afterwards and I have some resources I will point you to. It's all good stuff. Before we get to it, I want to remind you about an awesome thing that you have access to right now. Y'all have loved my interview with Paul David Tripp talking about healthy habits in a marriage. And the best news is, you can learn beyond just that one hour conversation I had with him because he recorded a marriage conference expounding on those truths and it's available to you if you go to don'tmomalone.com forward slash marriage and you can purchase a streaming license for you as an individual if you wanna watch it with your spouse, if you wanna watch it as a small group or in a Sunday school class or even a church-wide event. And he is gonna give you $5 off if you use the coupon code five off. In a time when marriage is under attack, I think that it's helpful to hear Paul talk more about developing the good habits, pulling weeds and planting seeds, dealing with your differences and protecting your marriage with prayer. And I think watching it within a community where you can go through the discussion guide that they provide and keep each other accountable for not just learning about what you should do, but implementing actual tangible action steps for making this a reality in your marriage. Your marriage can be better. And we are all cheering you on, believing through God and his power in you that you can get the help that you need. Uh, So check that out at don'tmomalone.com forward slash marriage. Use that code five off to get $5 off as a Don't Mom Alone listener. All right, let's get to my chat with Aaron. Here we go. Hey, Aaron, welcome to the Don't Mom Alone podcast. Hi, Heather. I'm so glad to be here. Oh, my stars. Y'all, you have to first, before you even listen, go to the Instagram, go find Aaron Moon. Is it Aaron? It's Aaron H. Moon. Okay, for the Hicks. That's right. Aaron H. Moon and start following and then laugh in the midst of your day and be entertained by all the things. So funny. You're just funny. Well, thank you. You know, I was a theater major. And oh, so look at, look, at, look at Instagram being my my outlet. Your stage. This yes, is your exactly. stage. Okay. I love that. And you have kiddos. So you get the mom who's listening or ever the dad who's listening. You get where they are. Tell us about your family a little bit. So I have been married for almost 13 years. I have a nine-year-old. I have a six-year-old and I have a 15-month-old. And they are, there's a lot of uh, feelings in our home, (laughs) a lot of emotions. I don't think that my husband and I were trying to think the other day, if there has been a day 
when at least one person didn't cry? Did we have like a day of no crying? And no, there's, cause we cry, we cry about happy things. We cry about frustrations. We're just, we're all, there's a lot of estrogen. There is a lot of emotion. So are they all girls? Uh, I have two girls. The, okay. the oldest are girls. And then the youngest is our boy. Bless so. him. He's going to have a lot of tools in his tool belt to yeah. deal with women. Yeah. So my husband has two older sisters and he's the best husband. He has a younger sister too, but he's amazing. And I swear families with two girls and then a boy are like the best families. I don't even know. So well, way to we're going to hold on to that <laughs> as tightly as we can. <laughs> way to go. <laughs> oh, yeah. I get the whole intense emotion. Like everything's intense. Yes. In like we don't feel things halfway. Around oh, no. this place. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Yeah. We are we are constantly mitigating and discussing our feelings. Yeah, so. the drama meter is on full 10, not all the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you're a theater major. You have a wonderful, dramatic family. Tell us a little bit about growing up because in your new study, Oh, Heavy Lightness, I was reading, I saw little glimpses of your church background and I know there are a lot of gals that reach out to me that have similar stories, even for myself. I started off in the Baptist church and then we moved non-denominational. And then as an adult, I've been in different places. I haven't gone to where you have been led to go, but I feel this pull to research so many other avenues of um, faith traditions, like the depth that's available to us, I'm drawn to. So tell us about your story. Yeah. So I grew up Southern Baptist, like you said, until I was 25. I have nothing bad to say about my personal experience um, in the Southern Baptist church. Um, And I'm so grateful for that. But I know that there have been a lot of other stories that were very different from mine. But um, I grew up in a small uh, church in a small town in Texas Panhandle Mm. and was just surrounded by really kind and supportive and generous ministers and teachers and people who were inclusive with my gifts. I I think that someone who has, who tends towards the dramatic (laughs) might, might sometimes feel out of place at a more structured traditional Baptist church, but that just wasn't my experience at all. I sang in the choir and they did musicals. And so I just, I really thrived there. And as I went through the youth group and into the college ministry was on various leadership teams and, um, just really loved it and actually worked for a, uh, several parachurch kind of youth event organizations as I began my professional career and was just very involved and, uh, deeply entrenched in, worship as a production. Hmm. And I don't, I I think like anything else, it can be false or it can be life-giving. And I think God can use both of those things in different ways. And, but for me, I just, I had a lot of really genuine moments and revelations with God about myself, about him through those experiences. And as I got older, I started reading weird Christian mystics like Julian of Norwich and Thomas Merton. And I found all of them from like reading C.S. Lewis because I would go to the, I would, I would read a C.S. Lewis book and I would go to the back to the bibliography and I would say, okay, I'm going to go read this book, this book, this book, and this book that he had referenced. And then I, I started reading kind of some of these more they believed in Jesus. They believed in God and the Holy Spirit and um, all of these things that the Apostles' Creed tells us that are the tenets of our faith. They just believed them in a very different way, in a uh, kind of a different context, which I found fascinating because I had only grown up with one context. So as I kind of started to read more of them, I got married and we were looking for our church home. And we attended a a large church here in Birmingham, Alabama, that was an SBC church and really loved it and felt very at home. But I found myself getting really distracted and I couldn't separate my work in event production with what I was doing on Sundays. And so I would say, oh, okay, well, they, they dropped that light cue or that was a weird script or whatever. And I just, I stopped worshiping. Hmm. I, and I started judging and 
working a different side of my brain that I'm not sure we're intended to use during a worship service. So I was, I became just really distracted by my, my inability to separate those two things. And so I was talking with a friend about this and he said, I'm actually attending a small Anglican church um, that meets on our seminaries campus. It's probably like maybe 75 people, but I really love the priest there. I love what they're doing. I love the liturgy. And so we, our interest was piqued. And the, the closest I had ever come to any kind of liturgical was I dated a Catholic guy when I was in high school <laughs> and I had gone to one of his church services and I really liked it. I didn't understand anything that was going on, but I, I was fascinated and I, I really wanted to know more. And so we went and it, I've just described it as a chiropractic adjustment for my faith and the way I worship. And it felt like I had been kind of hunched over and carrying a burden and just had been walking in one way for so long that I was creaky and I was unable to stand up straight. And it really felt like as I started to learn more about Anglican theology of worship and the reasons why they do things the way they do, um, it just became really clear to me out of all the ways that God has given us to worship him and learn about him, I feel like this is one of my ways. And it was a really great fit for us. We freaked out my family with our (laughs) infant baptism and (laughs) real wine at communion. And my dad would take, when he would come visit, he would take our order of service back to my home church and have the pastor look at it. And he like, I don't see anything wrong with this, but do you see anything wrong with this? I just want to make sure (laughs) But we, we love it. We just really feel like this is just the way that works for our family. And I don't know if it'll work for our family forever. Like I said, there are so many different ways that God has given us a thousands. And this is the way that works for us. And that's just kind of our journey into becoming Anglican. So interesting. Yeah. I find it really fascinating how your profession played into the switch, like how you knew too much about the behind the scenes. I think that happens with people who are in ministry. I think it does, too. I think it's hard when you see the sausage being made. Yeah. (laughs) Because you do. You know that there are there are a lot of false things that go on behind the scenes. And there are a lot of genuine things that go on behind the scenes. Um, But it can it can really mess with you. Well, and I think there's a familiarity. We uh, talk on here a lot about how do we help our kids develop a faith of their own. And I just heard two counselors talk about this spiritual milestones our kids go through, that there's this absorbing everything we give to them. And it's such a sweet time to expose them to God's word and prayer Mm -hmm. and all of these things while they're hungry for it. And then they go through this season around 11, 12, where they're like, what is this faith? And do I believe this? And that's normal. Mm -hmm. And yet I know when my one of mine went through that for the first time, I was like, oh, my goodness, I've ruined everything. I should have never mentioned Jesus (laughs) because, because they're too familiar. It's too, you know. But there is something to why we like to read a different translation of the Bible or we want to learn a little more about how this group worships God. I think we close ourselves off. Like you like you said, when we when we don't explore that, when we look at other denominations or, you know, other ways of expressing faith and we we go, ah, well, I just don't know about that. So I'm not going to explore it. Or we close ourselves off when we don't realize the richness of how another person is doing something. I think we can teach each other so much. And like you said, we're not talking like going off the rails. You're now exploring a religion that's different from your own. Right. You're like you said, you're holding to the core tenets of the Apostles Creed, the foundation of our faith, and the way they worship is a little different. And And if y'all want to go research the Anglican church, you can. We're not going to go too deep into that this morning because we have other good stuff to talk about. (laughs) In what you discovered, it sounds like you also learned a lot more about the church calendar, which I think in broad sense, churches are more open to than they were when I was little. Oh, I definitely think that's true. Yeah. Starting with Advent. You mentioned Advent in your book. So more resources are available to celebrate Advent as a family, which I don't think that was a thing when I was little. So talk to us about your discovery of the calendar. Yeah. So as we kind of decided that we felt like the Anglican church and this specific church um, in our 
community was where we wanted to be, where we needed to be, where God called us to be. We just sort of jumped in and we sat with our priest and his wife, who um, is a deacon. And we asked so many questions. <laughs> what is this? Tell me about infant baptism. How can you reconcile that with, you know, and all of these things, you know, why are we calling it the Eucharist? What is the church calendar? And they were so patient with us and so kind to sit down and really give us a crash course on what it is, why these things are different, why they look different, what the meaning behind them is. And that was so crucial for us. I love routine. I love ritual, not in a rut way, but, um, it's just, it's very clarifying to me to have uh, routine, which is what I love about the church calendar. So basically the calendar operates on a, on a year long schedule and you do it in a three year cycle. Okay. So, you know, we're reading the same scriptures as other churches on you know, Sunday. And we are, we're going through the same kind of observances and celebrations. And there's, you know, there's Advent, which is very popular now and Epiphany and of course, Lent and Holy Week, there's ordinary time, Pentecost and all of these kind of markers, these little Ebenezers that are put throughout the calendar are ways that we can experience the different moments of scripture, of Christ's life, of what happened in that first century church kind of a situation. And so what I really love about the church calendar is that it's given me so many gifts. And at first I said, I was really bothered by this church calendar, that like the church would try to tell me what to do and when to do it. Like you're not the boss of me, but I've experienced these rhythms now and this liturgy for a few years. And it's really given me a lot of gifts. It's given me like the gift of movement. And I think within the days portioned out during the year, like we're given space and guardrails to experience certain feelings. So when we walk into church service during Lent or when I'm reading the daily scriptures during Lent, no one's asking me to put on a false face. No one is asking me to say, Hey, Jesus died for your sins and you need to look like it. And I think that is so freeing. Um, we're supposed to be somber. We're supposed to be introspective. And so like the church calendar is giving me markers throughout the year to say like, I can hold grief. Like it's giving me handles to hold these feelings that I think sometimes we want our churches to look like really happy, joyful places. And there is obviously a space for that. But we tend to relegate other feelings that are not as marketable to the side. And the church calendar is pushing me through emotions that I might get stuck in. Mm -hmm. And it kind of gently urges me into them and out of them as well. So I really love what that does for my mental state, not only my spiritual state, but mentally. And, you know, and, you know, you were mentioning your episode about the Jewish feasts. This is how... God set this up. He placed these markers in the calendar, in the Jewish calendar for them to remember, for them to go back and say, Hey, do you remember when God did this? Because our tendency as humans is to forget these things. And I do that in my own life. I remember reading Bob Goff talking about how anytime he has a memory that he's never had before, that he remembers something in his life that he'd never had before, he writes it down. And I love that. Just the the act of remembering what God has done and what he will continue to do in our life, I think is so crucial. It's tying those that past and that future together um, in your present. And I really think that is important. So that like the church calendar is it's not mandatory. And, and when we met with our priest and um, his wife, he said, listen, we're not going to make you do any of this. Like, it's <laughs> like, he's like, you don't want to baptize your infants. That's fine. Like, it's okay. These aren't but, requirements that make us better believers. He said that the only requirement we have is the same requirements that you're going to find at any other church. And if you want to serve, if you want to be a part, we want you to believe in Jesus. We want you to believe in the Holy Spirit and in God. And these things are, these are the crucial things. Everything else is just the way that we prefer them, honestly. And um, I think that was really helpful in me to say, there's nothing wrong with what other people are doing. It's just, it's merely different. And I can expand my viewpoint and I can learn new things about God when I open myself up to that. 
And I love that you're saying it's it's for our benefit. It's like the Sabbath when God said, take Sabbath because it's for your yes. benefit. It's good yes. stuff. It's not yes. this law that you keep and, and the Jews added to it to make it something God never intended. It was always for our good. And so I love that you were saying, even as we were going to talk about Lent, that it's this place and space to grieve. Mm-hmm. We talk about uh, sometimes on the show about how we're in a culture where People don't know what to do, to do with their grief. They don't know when to grieve, especially if you're a mom. They don't know how to grieve because community's so wacky. And it's it's this underlying tone, and it's why depression is so rampant. It's like we haven't been given space to be sad and then to stop. In Jewish tradition, yes. when someone died, you had space and time to be sad. And then you walked you know, your village for seven times, and you were done. Yeah, And then you put your energy into a project that honored the person who passed away. So you're like, there's space, there's time, there's direction, there's boundaries. Like God wants us to be feeling those feelings that reflect him, but feelings are not the boss of us either. They Mm -hmm. do not get to be the boss of us. And they can, what did I hear this last weekend? Feelings are like children. (laughs) (laughs) They can't, you you can't put them in the trunk because that's not, it's not a good way to take care of your kids. And you don't let them drive the car. Because yeah. that's dumb, but safely buckled up in a car seat, yeah. that's the best place. Um, so this yeah. boundary line of Lent is a great place for feeling. So, talk to us about Lent's purposes for you and and what you found to be helpful. I mean, we just talked about one, but no, yeah, for sure. I think as a culture, we are so uh, far away from being uncomfortable. We have put in every safeguard that we can think of for our comfort. And Mm -hmm. I think we are doing ourselves a massive disservice. So many stories of Jesus, he's not living in, I mean, we know he's not living in luxury, but he's comfortable. He's walking everywhere. He does not have a place to lay his head. He does not have a home. Um, He is relying on the kindness of other people or a place next to the sea where he can lay down for a little bit. And Lent is is based on Jesus's 40 days of fasting in the wilderness before he started his ministry. And so I think it's so good for us to deny ourselves the things that make us comfortable and to put yourself at that edge of saying, I'm going to take something away. And that's what Lent, Lent is about fasting. And it's also about feasting. When we take things away from ourselves and, and whatever you fast from during Lent, it's the thing that you are thinking of right now that you don't actually want to fast from, (laughs) Um, and which is the worst part. And you deny yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is so good for us. For the most part, there's not a lot that we want that we don't get. Father Thomas McKenzie says in his book, The Anglican Way, the purpose of these disciplines is not to punish ourselves Mm -hmm. for our sins. Mm -hmm. Jesus took all the punishment for us. Rather, the disciplines are meant to empty us so that the Lord may fill us. We are making ourselves available available to Christ in hopes of growing our faith. And I think that is when we get into a mindset closely related to Jesus as he fasted and prayed, we are getting closer to him. We are removing distractions. We're waiting, but we're not wasting our time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I and I love how you pointed out in your book, it's like, there's this part of me that wants to fast from the things that I know will help me lose a few pounds. And I have to even come to grips with like, I'm trying to use uh, a biblical uh, tradition to meet my needs. So talk to us about even that. Yeah. So I, I really struggled with a while of what I was supposed to, you know, what are you going to fast from? What is the thing in your life that you really need that if you removed, you would feel its absence and it would remind you of God. Yeah. Uh, cause that, that's the whole point. It's yeah. not to, to yeah. look good. I mean, Jesus is really clear in scripture that like people who talk about what they fast from, yeah. like they get a big old eye roll from him. Or that's try to a... look like they're more tired or sickly by exactly. putting things on them. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so, you know, for a long time I was like, well, you know, what would be great is if I could double up <laughs> and I could fast from going to Chick-fil-A every morning. And I'd also like lose a couple pounds probably. And I, I had to come to grips with like, obviously this is bad. So don't do that. But then is that really the thing that's going to make me remember God is if I'm not doing what the thing that I've been doing every morning for the past year and a half. That brings you well, comfort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. brings me comfort. <laughs> that's going to make me uncomfortable. 
can God still use my sinful desires and my (laughs) just really gross sinful heart? Can he still use that? And the answer is, of course, yes, he can. He does it literally all the time. Yeah. Mm. So much in what you said. I kind of want to repeat it. Like, it's not to punish us for our sins. Because those who didn't grow up with knowing Lent personally may have watched others go through Lent. It's not to punish or for right. just for ritual's sake or like you said, I'm a good Christian. And I want other people to see, but so that we can grow in our faith and be available. And, and like you also said, it's a fasting, but it's a feasting. And let's talk about that. Like we're giving something up, but maybe it's also to give or to enjoy something deeper. So I'm thinking personally, if I'm a scroller, and that's what I'm fasting mm-hmm. from is this thumb action. What I uh-huh. could feast in is the available time that I'm now given to go deeper with God in something, to spend more time in Absolutely. scripture with him. Yeah. And I think it's just, it's looking at, okay, what is this now that you're fasting, whatever you're fasting from, what is it doing? And I, I heard about this concept from one of the deacons in our church. And she said, don't just deny yourself, fill yourself up with something else. So what is it that your fast is giving you? Is it time? Is it money? Is it uh, attention? What is your fast giving you? And then how can you put that back into the world? So yeah, if you're a scroller and you've decided to fast from scrolling during Lent, what is that extra time giving you? And where can you put it back into the world as a service, as a memorial to what God has done in your life and to what he's teaching you during this time, I think is the crucial question to ask. What are you, are you feasting on Uh, his word? Are you feasting on service? Are you feasting on um, extra kindness? What is it that you're able to put back out there? Yeah, I'm just this idea popped in the head. If I'm not scrolling on the social media, but I'm writing a note to a friend to encourage her. Oh, yeah, that's great. Same amount of time, but like actually connecting with a friend instead of falsely connecting. Yeah, I think that's really great. Or I mean, my phone keeps track of how much time I spend on there. Oh, and it's, so, it's, it's personally victimizing. It's hours. Frankly. And so <laughs> there can be hours a day I'm volunteering somewhere. Yeah. A day. I know. I know. Um, so, yeah, I think that piece of recognizing this isn't just about denial, but it's about a shifting. Jesus gave up the comforts of heaven first off before we even talk about the cross. He yeah. gave up the comforts of heaven to be in these bodies, which, come on, lots of limitations here. Lots and then, of limitations. And he put himself on the cross, you know, and in his life, he did not choose comfort, but he went to the cross and he felt that pull. I always talk about, I've shared on it in the podcast before, but this knowing he would resurrect, he's fully God. So he knows how this is going and the purpose yeah. and yet so grieved in the Garden of Gethsemane, oh. so grieved so he could hold both and that for us is a little trickier. And so to have Lent to help us work that muscle, because what was one of your quotes? Here it is. J.R.R. Tolkien. We can only come to mourning, mourning like the morning, like not mourning like sadness, through shadows. We always want to just focus in on Easter and like the celebrating. Do you remember that as a little girl? Talk to us about that. Like what was Easter like for you before versus now? Oh, I loved Easter. It was so pretty. (laughs) And I got candy and a new dress and it was, I loved it. And it felt like second Christmas. And that is, that's not an indictment against anyone who instructed me in Easter as a child. Absolutely. That was the culture. That's what we did. Yes. And so, you know, and I think when I got older, I do specifically remember a Sunday school lesson on Easter that went through what physically happened to Christ on the cross that was Mm. very, uh, very detailed, very graphic. And that kind of set something in me like, Oh, hang on. Like this, this is real. This actually happened to someone's body, like his actual body. And so what I, what I like about Lent is that it takes you through the hard parts of being a human, through the grief, through the darkness, through the sadness, through the frustration, the anger that I think a lot of us carry around and we don't feel like we have a place to put that. What Lent does is it says, hey, you can hold on to that. 
Let's hold on to that. Let's walk through this time together and see what happens on the other side. We want to know that when we hold these things, we are not alone, that God is with us. Is he big enough for us to beat on his chest about the brokenness that we feel, about the sadness that we feel, our grief? Yes, he is. And he wants to walk through those parts of being a human with us because he can be trusted with all of that sadness that we are holding. And I think that's what I love so much about Lent and why Lent is so good for you as a person is that you're not alone. Mm -hmm. And he, in scripture, so much of scripture is talking about anger, frustration, grief, sadness, all of these things that we put on the back burner or we don't feel like we have time to deal with. And rare is the story in scripture of of the believer who has it all figured out, Mm -hmm. who's happy all the time. And I think we do, we do ourselves personally, and especially moms, because we feel like, well, I can't hold this grief. I can't hold this sadness because it's going to affect the spiritual lives of my children. If I do that, Mm -hmm. if they see me walking through this, what is that going to do to the spiritual lives of my children? And I would say your children seeing you have real struggles with your faith, real sadness and seeing that God is still with us in that is more powerful than them never seeing you struggle. Yeah. The the victory means more when you've seen the battle. Oh, absolutely. And it's this, when you say we're not alone, which I'm partial to with the title of the show, <laughs> right. uh, that we know days are hard and we know I'm just have gone through the life of David. I mean, he has walked. He's he's been literally fleeing from enemies in battles. And he says, God, you were the one who strengthened me. And so it's this awareness when we're going through Lent that our true source of strength and life and comfort only can come from God, not all the (laughs) other things that we're going to. And there there have been I want to say at least four people in the last three weeks that have reached out to me and made some sort of comment about, like shared something sad with me, but then very quickly went to people only like me because I'm happy kind of thing, or like I, mm. I'll i get back to my happy self. I'm not mm. kidding, it's maybe five people. There's this push, maybe it's the social media, I don't know, there's this push that it needs to be likable and I need to be likable and I need to be fun and or, or we need our kids to be happy and in order for them to be, nobody happy unless mom is happy. Like, Right. So to hold that space, and we're not saying you're walking around crying for for this 40 days. This is not what we're talking about. We're not. (laughs) No, we're not saying that. No. But isn't that isn't that interesting that that we and I don't know if that's an American thing. I don't know if that is a modern thing or a combination of both. But first world. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a lot of we're afraid and I am, I am not great with emotion. I am just generally not good with it. And so I don't even like to sit in that. And so Lent for me is an exercise of massive uncomfortableness. Like I, I don't even want to think about my grief, my sadness, but I know as, as someone who has dealt with depression, um, as a mother, I know that I'm not doing anyone any favors by not paying attention to the darkness or to the sadness that I'm carrying around. In fact, I'm hindering my marriage. I'm hindering my mothering and myself and my relationship with God. And so what can we do? And I think there's a, there's a tangible aspect to Lent. It feels very hands in the dirt. I'm working out my salvation. I'm wrestling with these questions. I am struggling. It's very active. And I think for someone like me and maybe a lot of your listeners, I need handles on how to move through that. And so that's kind of the thing that I think has been so helpful for me is that it's not a stagnant and no one's asking you to put on a face. No one's asking you to be happy about something that you're very sad about and that that's okay. And it's expected and uh, you can do it in community. And you are helping us do it. We're not asking people to just think of one thing they want to fast and feast. You've actually set us up pretty well with this Devo that you wrote. Well, I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) So if people have, fasted something or give more time to something else, one thing they can give more time to is this Devo. And there are one, two, three, four, five, six parts. 
Mm-hmm. So That's each right. Day, talk us through what would happen in a day. I mean, it's not the whole day. Like, the, right. <laughs> you're doing this all day. <laughs> you quit Please your job. Your other responsibilities. <laughs> yeah. So, um, kind of a, a part of my learning about the church calendar has kind of branched off into the hours, praying the hours, doing the daily offices, and praying the so, hours. I don't know what that means. So, in more liturgical kind of traditions, uh, they have a prayer service that is turned into, and this comes from uh, the Hebrew tradition of praying several times during the day. And um, so there's morning, there's midday, and then there's Vesper prayers. And these are short prayers that for me have just been very centering. Mm. Um, I do a lot of things during the day and I have three children. I have a marriage, I have jobs. And there are just these moments during the day and it's three minutes, it's four minutes, it's five minutes that I can stop myself. I have alarms set on my phone and I just pray through these prayers and you can use the book of common prayer. You can use, um, I use, uh, the divine hours by Phyllis tickle and is there an app? I'm wondering if uh, there's an app. There might be an app. I don't know. That would be really convenient. Like your alarm goes off and then you've got it right there. It'd be very convenient. Let's create an idea for someone. (laughs) And um, so part of that, so this was kind of modeled, the devotional that I did, Oh Oh Heavy Lightness, was done sort of as an homage and kind of modeled after that. So you have the request for presence, which is a psalm. And it's just a moment for you to ask God to meet you. And you're just saying a Psalm, you're saying it out loud, you're saying it in your mind, you're writing it down. And it's just a moment to say, okay, here we go. We're about to do this. And then reading daily scriptures, a devotional type of thought, a meditation, a hymn is what you would find in the daily hours, something like that. And then a benediction. And so the way that my um, devotional runs is the request for presence. And then we dive into some daily scripture. Then we do a little bit of unpacking that scripture together. And then we do something to think about. What is this text saying to us? Is there a call to action that we can do? Um, can we text someone? Can we talk to a friend? Can we write something down? Um, and then there's a short benediction. And then I, I know like I'm sermons that last you know, over 20 minutes. It's just, I don't have that attention span. So I know that there are lots of different learners. Um, so I included a daily song that kind of goes along with the day and then a visual meditation for you to look at, listen to. I think art is an important part of our spiritual growth and the way that artists kind of translate the world, I think is really beautiful. And I've included a lot of different artists in that. And so that's kind of what the day is. It's designed to last maybe 10 minutes. You know, you can do it any part during your day. There's an audio version if you want to listen in your car or you want to listen while you're making your coffee in the morning. And so that's just kind of the walkthrough of what each day looks like. And how many days you kind of hinted that it was modeled after Jesus's time in the wilderness. So, right. So Lent is technically 46 days. Okay. It can be counted as 47 days if you include Easter. It just depends on your denomination. Okay. Um, but actually, Sundays don't count, <laughs> which is really confusing. So Lent is basically a 40-day observance, and Sundays are considered feast days. So you can break your fast, okay. and you can go check Instagram. You can you know do whatever as just like a mini celebration as a reminder throughout this season of taking away that there is joy coming and there is goodness coming and there is the Lord in his gifts are coming. And you're just walking towards that. You're taking a journey on your way to the cross and you are walking through all of the emotions that go along with that. You know, the closest thing I've come to Lent, I haven't ever practiced it myself, is our church started hosting a Tenenbrae service. Love the Tenenbrae service. Okay. Oh All right. So the dr- the drama nerd in me, I mean, I've loved it. Absolutely loved. And, you know, the four on the Enneagram, I'm cool with it. It's a service of shadows, if y'all have never heard of it. And it starts off full lights, uh, candles lit, and we walk through the story of Jesus. And after each little section, the story, not the whole story of Jesus, like his journey to the cross. And at the end, all the candles are blown out and there's really no talking. There's no preaching. It's scripture. It's song. And we all walk out silent. And it's like 
so powerful and uncomfortable and amazing. Yeah. What, and that's, I think what I really love, and I tried to get into this a little bit without being exhaustive <laughs> to the point of like <laughs> absurdity, but I think it, what I love about all of these services surrounding Lent and Holy Week is the symbolism and how we can use those symbols as a furthering of our own faith, the stations of the cross. I know the Palm, I go pretty deep into um, the Palm Sunday service, which is I don't know if you've ever experienced a Palm Sunday service, but it is the most humiliating in the best way because like a you Palm Sunday at a, at a, at a church evangelical or an Anglican church. Well, at, at a more liturgical church. Okay. I don't no, know. I have not been to one of those. So you enter with, the, you know, the children and yeah, we yeah. all bring our bells and we bring tambourines and we have palms and we enter and we're singing we're modeling it after Jesus's entrance into Jerusalem. And then by the end of the service, we're doing a call and response and we're saying, crucify him, crucify him over and over again. And the juxtaposition of that entrance and the ending is one of the most haunting things that I've ever experienced. It is because it speaks to our dual nature and how, how two-faced we can honestly be. Um, well, having been to Israel, the guy that led our tour, he was like, he, he was Jewish. He's not a believer. So, uh-huh. of course, this is all coming from, you know, know your source. But he yeah. was like saying that the ones who were praising Jesus coming into Jerusalem were not the same ones who said crucify him. Hmm. Interesting. Which, which I know, like. And then there was all this, is this where Jesus was crucified or was it not? Like when I was in Israel, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm even more confused than ever on some of these things. Yeah. Like, oh, that's so interesting. But his view on some of it, I was like, and he's like, and the, the Holy Spirit didn't come down in an upper room. It was probably right here on the steps of the temple. Like so many things that I was like, okay, you're really shaking some of the things I've been <laughs> I holding on to. I don't appreciate that. Yeah, I know. I know. But I think that there is a gift in us letting God be bigger and Mm, Us humbly saying we don't know all the things, but in the same sense, could I be the person who praises? Could I be the person who says crucify? Yes, that is in me, both. Yes, that symbolism, I think, speaks no matter what. No matter whether it's true that they were the same group of people or not, we can see God for who he is, see Jesus Mm -hmm. as the son of God. We can also at the same time be like, nope, I'm God. You know, I get to decide and that's in a moment I can switch and show rebellion or worship. And so I will need to go. I think I'm going to be in Mexico on Palm Sunday. So maybe I can hit up. Oh, uh, I bet you can. I bet you can find a a great Palm Sunday service. Yeah, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. All right. Where do they find this fabulous Oh Heavy Lightness? So you can go to my website. It's erinhmoon.com slash lint. And it is available there. And and you got something good. You got something good. What are you going, what are you going to bring Yeah. Us? So for your listeners, I'd love to offer you a code. And it's MOM15. And it'll be 15% off of the whole thing. Amazing. Y'all, you got time. When does Lent officially start this year? So Lent begins March 6th um, on Ash Wednesday. And... What I've really, some people have emailed me that have already gotten the guide and they've said, I've loved walking through the beginning part about what is Lent, why is it important, the church calendar to prepare myself so I'm not just jumping in on March 6th, you know, trying to figure everything out. So they've really enjoyed kind of preparing their hearts and their minds for that. And those of us who don't go to a liturgical church we need to be aware that on March 6th, if you see people with a little dirt on their forehead, don't <laughs> say anything. Just yes. let it go. I mean, what's, go. A, what's an appropriate way to greet someone who's just been to an Ash Wednesday service? Like nod. I mean, what? Just, you know. Like don't look directly at it. Like, I feel like my <laughs> eyes naturally go up. And then it's this moment where like we're, we both know. Both know. Yeah. But I'm not going to say anything about it. Yeah. I just think normally. Well, and I think that you bring up an interesting point. Like, if you have never done Lent, if you've never done a devotional, if you're not a part of a liturgical tradition, this guide is still for you. And you don't have to worry about being Anglican or being liturgical. You don't need a like a seminary degree to do any of this. It's just maybe something working a different muscle that you haven't previously. That's all it is. And 
I didn't know this. This is bonus in your little guide that the ashes used. Tell us about that. I thought that was interesting. So, yeah, isn't that great? So when uh, you celebrate or when you observe Ash Wednesday, obviously you go up to your priest or your pastor and they will um, put ashes in the sign of the cross on your forehead and remind you that you're going to die. <laughs> Just <laughs> super start off fun. on a high note. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and the ashes that they are putting on your forehead are actually from the palm trees that you waved during last year's Palm Sunday service. Mm. So it's all just really circular, good symbolism in there. From dust um, to dust. This yes, is what we're saying. Exactly. Man. Well, thank you, Erin, for sharing what you've learned and for writing this study and pointing us to a depth of knowing that, that we could experience in this season um, coming up. I really appreciate you taking the time. Well, Thank you so much for having me. It's just been a joy and I love your podcast and um, this has been really fun. So thank you. Wait, do you tell people what you're fasting or does that stay a secret? Like I see people post like I'm fasting so-and-so. Is that against the rules? I mean, I know there's no rules. I don't know if it's against the rules. Well, for me, here's what I would say. For me, I'm going to tell my small group. I'm going to tell my close friends just so they can keep me accountable. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm probably not going to post it necessarily on a public forum or talk about it super openly, but mainly because Jesus cautions against that. And yeah. I, I try to do what he says as much as possible. <laughs> so wise. So wise. <laughs> I don't, I certainly don't get it right all the time, but yeah. Well, he's pretty clear about that one thing. Good advice. Good advice. Yeah. All right. Well, I keep, you know, starting to end this and I just, I don't want it to end. And that's the truth. <laughs> but we need to let you go. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful for you. So more. We're going to get more of this, Erin. You and I. This, there's future together. We'll bring you I back again. I believe that. All right. Thanks, Erin. Thank you. Thanks again, y'all, for listening, for trusting me. I know some of you heard infant baptism and you cringed. Don't worry. It's going to be okay. As Erin shared, she even struggled with some of the things in the Anglican church when she first joined. So you're good. You don't need to email me. I get it. But I'm grateful that you're trusting me and you're listening. And I wanted to talk about observing Lent as a family because I completely forgot to ask her. That would have been important since this is a mom podcast. Here's what we've got for you. My VA, Sarah Jane and Erin Moon have both sent links and added them to the show notes so you can learn more about observing as a family. I know that after I did this interview, I was at dinner that night with my family and I brought it up because I had never heard the whole fast feast concept. And I said, it's the first thing that comes into your mind. And one of my boys immediately was like, oh, I know what I should fast. And he said it, it was video games. And he said, and I know what I would feast. And then his face lit up. He said, I would feast playing basketball. And I know Lent is more about the feast being more time with God. But I thought it was really interesting that he actually got excited thinking about the extra time he would have to do something that he enjoyed. And so I don't know, what is that for you? What could you be thinking through? Um, even if you don't go through the heavy lightness study to consider for yourself in this Lent season coming up. Um, so go check out those show notes for the more links. Um, so many people have written on observing Lent as a family. If you don't know how to find the show notes, you go to don'tmomalone.com. If you're listening to this episode, the week it comes out, it'll be the only podcast on that front page and you click on the title and it'll take you to the long show notes, which are amazing, full of goodness. All the books we mentioned and the podcast episodes we mentioned and additional resources. If you're listening and it's been way past that first week, it was out, you can click the button podcast and it will take you to a search bar that says search show notes and you can type in Lint and you'll find them that way. If you want the show notes to come straight in your inbox, you go on the site and you type in your email address and the next week's show notes will show up. Every week you'll get these resources and I'm working towards hopefully creating a way to better communicate what's going on with Don't Mom Alone like uh, hint, hint, a live event that could be happening in the fall. Okay, y'all, I'm already planning that. Isn't that exciting? Uh, so you don't want to miss out on these announcements. And I'm thinking the best way to do that is if I have one place, not Instagram and Facebook and on this podcast, but like you're getting an email from me with the updates. So 
stay tuned. I'm working with my web designer. It should happen in the next month to figure out a way to regularly communicate with y'all through email. And one of the announcements, since I don't know how to tell you except for making the announcement on the podcast, is that we have another live video chat. Last month, I did one on toddlers and normal language development. This month's focus uh, is on anger. I created a calm parenting guide taking all the different podcast episodes that focused in on anger management. And I created a calm parent listening guide that can work you through that and different resources, some of my favorite. And I'm going to do a live mentor chat where I will answer your questions and work through a presentation that I actually do at Mops Groups. It'll be a shortened version of that. Uh, It's happening on February 28th, the last day of February at 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time. And if it's not, then you'll be notified. But the link for that is in the show notes too to sign up for that. If you are a Not Alone community member, you have a coupon code, of course, to get free access for that chat. All right, I think that is all of the things. I appreciate y'all. And thank you for sharing the podcast with your friends on Instagram and Facebook. I've had... Um, A lot of like high school and college friends reach out this week. I think they're in shock. They're like, Heather, I've known you forever. What's up? My friends are recommending the podcast to me. And I'm like, yeah, I know Heather. So they think, I think that's really fun. I think it's fun that y'all are so good about sharing uh, the show with your people. And it just means the world to me. I'm humbled by it. It's awesome. We are making sure that no one moms alone. Okay. Have a great week. Chat soon. Adios. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Don't Mom Alone podcast. If you're wanting to connect with more people and more resources to help remind you that you're not alone, head over to don'tmomalone.com. That's also where you'll find the show notes with any links mentioned by our guests. Most importantly, I want you to know the good news, the great news that you're not alone because God has promised to always be with you. With faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you and rose again, He said when he left, he was going to leave a helper, a comforter to be with us. God in us. Moms, that is super power. So while you're washing dishes at your kitchen sink, while you're driving to and from work, while you're feeding that baby late into the night, while you're cleaning sticky floors, God promises to be just as present and with you as when you're worshiping in a church pew. As it says in Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He takes great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing. Now that's good news. Have a great day.